straight in it is. It is indeed. Indeed it is. Um, <laughs> so today, I well, not today, I got a question from Cathy over on Twitter and there was a really interesting question. I could have responded in a DM. It would have been a very long essay of a DM. <laughs> uh, but I decided to ask you about it and have a bit of a conversation about it. I just read it to you. So it's you are prepped to an extent. To some extent, yes. So uh, I'm not going to read out the question because there's uh, it's, it's a bit of a, a long, wafty one. So we'll, we'll attack it at different stages. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to split it into three different parts. First question being, when it comes to notes and information online, what sort of medium suits what sorts of audiences? I think we were discussing this in some ways. Like, I'm taking it from a business perspective, because of course I do. Um, Like, we were discussing this in a previous episode about marketing and how we discuss stuff and what we say and how our philosophy changes. And I think this is kind of a tangential conversation of, like, what best suits what platform. That is something that, from a marketing perspective, is a tricky one. Because I've been... Like, this podcast is very long. Well, it's long. It's a longer-form content of an hour long. For most people, that's quite a bit. Um... But then also there's my podcast, which is sh- little tiny snippets that end up going under five minutes. I think from a marketing perspective, podcasts are like developing the relationship. Like it's when you want to actually ask interesting questions, like l- like skip over the <laughs> skip over the pleasantries and actually get to the heart, which is why I think I love this podcast and my podcast, because I can skip. Like, I think that's the kind of conversations that suit here of like, here you can have conversations you wouldn't normally have because you already know the person. You've kind of got some of the assumptions that you had of the other person and you kind of are getting to know them. Social media. So I think. I think there's an interesting conversation happening in the editor space, the YouTube editor space, mm-hmm. um, because for those unfamiliar, there are loads of editors behind the scenes of a lot of the bigger YouTube channels and the editors get paid for their own creations, etc. But a lot of the time the creators go, hey, here's tons of footage. I don't really have a story, but I kind of want to make these jokes work or I want to make this idea work and I want to make this look cool editor do something about it and what the editor has to do is then either create a story or mold the story with scenes sound effects audio um creating different cuts inside of different places to create some sort of story and inside the editors podcast which is (laughs) where a lot of youtube editors talk they discuss about the differences between youtube content different types of youtube content and different types of other video content so if you have a shorter youtube video there is going to be a completely different focus on how you edit the video Mm. then if you're a video channel if you're editing for a a channel that's got a younger audience that needs to be more cuts there needs to be more in your face sort of stuff yeah more movement not necessarily but generally as a trend then if you're editing for a an older audience you don't necessarily need 
less cuts, but the story can be more elaborate because they understand what's really going on. They don't need to be food fed the story throughout the Mm. video. So you can start then creating different emotional triggers with the videos with the, uh, a couple of seconds of wait until like building up suspense, that sort of stuff. So the design of the edit changes depending on the age and the understanding of the audience, but that's for popular, um, videos in the entertainment area of youtube when you start moving towards the education well now the edit changes because now the edit isn't to maintain retention now the edit is to reinforce learning so you maybe slow down the edit you maybe emphasize slow motion you may go back to the same clip multiple times to try and reinforce the story reinforce the narrative explain what's going on more so the edit changes which inherently changes the story of the video whereas inside of a podcast you don't typically do any of that unless you're doing a highly edited podcast (laughs) most people do highly edited podcasts i've seen but still like how many podcasts do you know say the same thing they go over the same thing in the episode I don't know of many that do that. Even the highly, what I would class as highly educational ones, Andrew Huberman being probably the the most well-known one. Yeah. Um, that That's not highly edited in a way that helps learning because there are words used that he doesn't really express. There are re- There is research that's mentioned, <laughs> but not really covered. And it's still two, two and a half hours long. And they're great conversations. A a podcast. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. A podcast is always a conversation, whether it be a solo podcast like my own and your own, like where you're talking to yourself and just trying to process through things or whether it is like an actual speaking to other people. It is always a conversation. And I think a podcast suits that conversation to like process through information and allow you to reflect um where you're at with a lot of things i mean i do a lot of reflection in mine i don't i think you have other methods as well but podcasting is a really you can go much deeper as i was saying earlier you can have that the questioning and the real reflective practices are easier in this kind of content versus a twitter post i see what you're saying I think that's a misconception of the majority of videos on YouTube because there are videos on YouTube that allow you to reflect, that do challenge you. Uh, they're video essays, essentially. Oh, yeah. that Yeah, so, so they are there. It's just the majority of the content that most people consume isn't that way inclined. So Yeah, so what I mean by that, I, I still see it as a slightly different... I see podcasting as slightly more interactive, whereas I see videos less interactive. Why? In terms of like what we're doing, this is more, there is interaction between two people. Whereas on a YouTube video, there isn't quite that. So on a static podcast, it's just one person no it, it, there is a difference there is like there it is more kind of uh static as you will kind of like a video essay where uh where the reflection is kind of inward whereas a podcast like this where two people with 
sometimes differing views come together it's kind of it feels more interactive and a little bit more live for me okay so question then do you need to have another person for something to feel interactive yes okay so if one person explains two different sides of an argument and they give two two good arguments for both sides and then they express something that's in the middle the reason i say that is because a lot of what i would class as video essays um inside of the business video essays they're one-sided stories Mm. inside of the educational essays from the I mean, i'm going to say natural sciences are also one-side stories but the philosophical essays have to because it's philosophy take multiple points of view and i think because not many people discuss philosophy those types of videos aren't out there that much and from yeah. my research which is really annoying like all of learning research those videos are one-sided conversations. I wouldn't say there are video essays about learning styles, lear learning styles, uh, learning education. <laughs> like, learning style. styles is what I want to use, but the misconception of what learning styles are, I'm like, ah, I can't really use that term. Um, but yeah, the styles of learning content that's out there, <laughs> it's, it's poor because it's just a one-sided narrative, often not evidence, which is, brings down the quality of content. That's uh, something we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but it means that the what, I, what you were saying about the interactive element, the two sides of the story aren't there. And that's where the nuance and the context lacks. So podcasts can have that if there are two people there, but the creator yeah. could also create that by just acknowledging that there are other people in the world. <laughs> yeah, and I think of, so I am looking at this from a, a business lens because that's the lens that I work within. And often a lot of the business podcasts do not do that because they don't have to, because the, well, they feel they don't have to. I disagree. And I think oh, it does. I was going to say, correct yourself done. there, sir. <laughs> I believe it should be done, but they do not view that they have to, because the purpose of their podcast is not to develop a conversation. It is to sell stuff for a lot of marketing purposes. The purpose of marketing is to sell your stuff. And often podcasts and other various forms of media are not about education necessarily, or it's education thinly veiled with marketing underneath, which is a probably a very pessimistic view. Uh, I am aware of that, but in the reality of business, that's often what it does. So <laughs> education, yeah. How would you class education inside of those business videos? Is there education there? Would be my first question. Thinly there. So yeah, there, there is some education there. The quality of education. Yeah, yeah, there is education, but the quality is <laughs> not great. So the way I have uh, a lot of the business stuff in my head is there is a there's education in there. There has to be because someone is communicating with someone else and there is going to be information someone's learning that they didn't already have, which is education. Whether that 
education, whether that knowledge is correct or not is another question. And then whether it's backed up by evidence, rationale, and whether that's been um, what I would class as critiqued by other perspectives is another question, which is obviously quality of content. So in my mind, all of the business stuff has a one-sided educational narrative. And that's in my head, andragogy or adult education. It's the same as the news. It's the same as all of social media. It's education because it's exposing someone to something they didn't know. But it's poor quality education. That That's how I see it. Mm. So as soon as you, if if you were to start seeing content as Edu- edu- and as, it, as as an educational experience, get the words out, um, then you can then start really critiquing what the content is and who it's directed for. And relating to the audience question, a business piece of content often makes assumptions and directs the content towards certain people, i.e. an audience member. If you're yeah. not that audience member, the only way you're going to really relate to that piece of content is if you adopt the misconceptions and the assumptions that the creator, the business, um, has put in there for you, which leans you one way, which pulls you in one direction, which I don't think is a good piece of content because <laughs> I don't think a piece of content should pull you one way. I think it should challenge you for you to make your own decisions about it. But that is the thing. It's where kind of the conversation of what content actually is comes in because I'm not sure fully whether i believe that marketing is actually content what's content to you i think content is the converse is a conversation is like actual education in the point of like higher quality to 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 be more specific you said actual education what's actual education what i mean is like education that has that is of a certain quality what quality and who draws the line dear man i hate that i absolutely hate that sentence i think that is a personal like decision okay i i agree i think it's a personal decision so if a person doesn't have the ability doesn't have the skills yet to recognize what is um higher lower quality then how do they know what's a piece of content and what's not a piece of content? Mm. They don't. (laughs) But everyone intuitively knows what a piece of content is. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Well, mm. they'll argue about how useful the piece of content is, but it's still a piece of content. True. So I agree with your your premise, but the terms you've used, I think, complicate it in in my mind because a piece of content is pieces of information that can be used to gain information from, which means anything that's shared between anyone is technically a piece of content. It's just a piece of content shared in a certain way, in a certain context. And when you think about dynamical systems theory, a piece of content is a part of a system. That Mm. part can be anywhere. It could be not connected to anything. It could be connected. Well, it's not going to happen like that, but the way people perceive it, it's not connected. Um, And then it could be connected visibly or consciously to lots of different things in a certain direction, which affords the individual to lean that way. 
and potentially constrains other views. And that's in my head how a, a piece of content directed at a certain audience member is, is viewed. It's viewed as this, oh, I should go that way, which constrains the views elsewhere and affords the views in that way, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, that's exactly what the business content is supposed to do. That's what marketing is meant to do. But whether that's the ethical or moral thing for creators, I'm saying creators in general. So that is, I think, in my view, everyone. Um, everyone that shares something anyway is a creator. Whether they are creating to earn money, that's a different question. Um, I would argue in my terms, that's a professional creator rather than a um, a non-professional one. There's lots of different words you can put on that. But inside the coaching field, you have a coach, an activity facilitator, and then a professional coach. There are loads of other words you could dump in there, but that's essentially what it is. Um, and there are loads of people that are coaching, but not professionally because their standards are very low. And I think there are lots of people creating, but not professionally because their standards are very low. That's how I see it. Um, what are so your how, how do you define the standards? Like, I what I assume you're measuring your standards. What is that for you? So standards can be social standards, obviously given by some governing body, which at the moment, there is no governing body for creators and the governing body for coaching in sports are obviously all individual sports. So that that could be done. I think that would be something in my eyes that would needed to be that needs to be done at some point because the creator industry is the education industry. You look at Skillshare, you look at Brilliant, you look at YouTube, you look at Brilliant as uh, you look at YouTube as a learning platform because people go there to learn how to edit, how to do X, Y, Z. They're learning physics on their chemistry and their science on there, learning how politics works. They're learning all different social, um, social society constructs, like how to, are you this? Are you that? Put in X, Y, Z for any mental disorder, neurodevelopmental disorder, social category or group. It's all education, but there is no standardized quality for any of that being shared because it's just, oh, it's just online content. No, it's education. And it's not just adult education anymore either. It was, oh, this is how an adult, adult, um, however you define that, can learn to edit, get a job, be X, Y, Z, but you've got children on there as well now. So it's also child education, but there are no standards. So who builds those standards? Um, that's a much larger question that I think needs to be had for the creator industry moving forwards, especially when it comes to education, which I would argue needs to be done by some sort of governing body. Uh, and then, so for example, in the coaching industry, Simspa is something in the UK that's used and Simspa basically say, Hey, these are the standards we would expect a coach, a professional coach to uphold. And we are going to regulate that. Whether they do that in whatever sport, whatever field, whatever age group, whatever context, that's up to the individuals. But if they want to hold a simple standard, yes, we say that this person is competent enough to coach it to a professional standard, then they have this stamp. Um, there were loads of different stamps inside of physical activity in the UK beforehand, but Simpsons are basically like engulf them all. Um, and I think... That could be something and should be something moving forwards for the creator world. So you can say, I'm creating content about this and I am, I don't like the idea of being certified, but I have this stamp. I've gone through these things that 
says yes i'm a, a higher quality how do you choose those lines that's yeah, where I th- that's, that's where i think the expertise comes in from educational researchers yeah because that's the question because if we look at certain certifications that we both know of um the barrier to entry is pretty low and so how there is a there is a line that has to be created yep and what is that line how do you define that line because there are varying forms of content and styles and in my assumption of what would be good content a lot of the short form content would probably die very quickly (laughs) why because because it's a lot harder to put well researched well like thought out conversations in 60 seconds so why does it need to be well researched in 60 seconds because that would be the deem of like what is a quality piece of content that it, it is it has some form of backing but why because a quality piece of content will have a different focus a different outcome a different purpose depending on the length of the piece of content and depending on the platform obviously of the piece of content and it doesn't have to be one uh one level one sort of certification like for example in coaching you have a professional coach but then you have a professional strength and conditioning coach professional physical activity specialist uh and then i think there's a sports coach a coach assistant and then something else because they all do different jobs so Mm. you could have a i'm making this up as i go along by the way a short a short creator stamp to say because it could just be an entertainer like you could just be an entertainer. You don't need a certification. It's just, Hey, here's loads of stuff. Um, but if you want to do something that's helpful for someone else with moving into education, a short set edu- creator would focus on certain things. So avoiding misconceptions. So not having loads of evidence, just not pushing misconceptions and not pushing misconceptions is just constraining what can be said not saying oh you can't say this it's just if you do say this do you need to acknowledge something else which is very easy in 60 seconds you can say i think this but you need to consider that and as soon as by putting the but in there you bring in doubt and that's all you would need to bring in some sort of education some sort of thinking involved whether the consumer actually considers that or not that's down to the consumer you can't moderate that at all but it's the same with coaching. Like you can have every accreditation. You'll have people that are higher quality accredited people and lower quality accredited people. Uh, but the accreditation gets rid of the faff, gets rid of the rubbish, gets rid of the people that really don't know what they're talking about. I'm talking in, in coaching and in most other accreditations. It gets rid of the majority of them. Not all of them, just the majority. And that's what I think would... In, inside the creator world would need to happen inside of especially education. Yes, it would need to be moderated. Because mm. at the moment, all of that is individuals. And that's where this next part of the question comes from. 
um so it says depending on the so is it different audiences types of material a different maturity of the content or something else so the maturity of the content the direction of the content from anyone's standpoint so they they've then put the standpoint from the creator or the consumer slash learner um i think the maturity of the content at the moment comes down to the creator themselves which for entertainment is fine. I don't see an issue with that. But for education, which is what a lot of on online content is, whether you like it or not, <laughs> uh, there, there is a level of maturity that needs to be had. And a lot of people talking about things that they don't grasp, trying to package it as education mm. does more harm than good. And we've spoken about the neurodivergent stuff quite a bit, but there are loads of people making what I would class as entertainment content about a disorder that I think we're, I don't know. I'm gonna guess, but I think could be quite offensive to some people in that field, and be like, "No, that's not right." But it's directed as entertainment, but could be seen as education. ADHD is this someone with ADHD yeah, says, uh, "No, it's not." Yeah, and and it's that. This is quite prevalent on TikTok, which I'm on because <laughs> of course I am. Um, like because I do find that content. E interesting for me because it's like i wonder what does that look like because in my what i do which is kind of now moving more and more into that neurodiverse kind of tangent there are so many questions that i have which i'm having fun at trying to answer of like how do i navigate that space where there is a lot of misconceptions of like People with ADHD are like this. People with ADHD. Are... And what I I have found really interesting um, is a lot of the content is focused on ADHD. Which is really interesting because there is more than ADHD. Which, is, which I find quite fascinating. As someone who is not diagnosed ADHD, diagnosed is a whole other thing, but I am diagnosed autistic. And a lot of what is spoken about in the neurodiverse space is hyper-focused on ADHD, which is quite interesting from, from, from my standpoint. Why do you think that is? What's your initial gut feeling? I don't know. I'm not sure. But I think ADHD has kind of What what others what others are there for those that are unfamiliar? So my definition um of neurodiverse and neurodivergent, I don't really like divergent, but I'll use it because it's common language, is things like autism. Um, ADHD is included in that, but it's not everything, but also things like dyslexia, dyspraxia, uh, depression, anxiety, and other things that stop you from doing things in a certain way, which I hate the definition <laughs> yeah. that I have created, but I'm developing it. So when we look at those words, anxiety and depression, does is that encompassed in mental health? Yes. Via assumptions. Via assumptions, yes. Yeah. So 
general the general public will assume gen pop people will assume depression anxiety and all the related emotional feelings uh relate to mental health oh they're talking about mental health someone's depressed that's that's what i hear a lot from the gen pop conversation and that's not what mental health is it's not just about depression it's about far more than that but misunderstanding um then you said dyspraxia and dyslexia is that spoken about anywhere what do you mean anywhere well you said that adhd is prevalent so is is that spoken as much no in in very 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 small communities the communities that i am in they talk about more than just adhd the common misconception that I'm seeing is neurodiverse means ADHD. So question for you then, dyspraxia and dyslexia, is it easy to attribute that to yourself, to self-diagnose dyslexia or dyspraxia? Hmm, good question. Could someone watch a video and go, oh, I think I have dyspraxia or, Oh, I think I have dyslexia. I don't know. I'm going to lean towards no, because I think even if they could like recognize it, when you think about dyslexia, struggling with reading typically is what's seen as what dyslexia is, which is basically what it is. It's processing visual cues, but nah. um, if, if someone can read, they're going to go, I don't have that. They might, but the surface level, I, I can read, I don't have that, is a lot of people's initial response. It's a misconception, but it's a lot of people's initial response. I can read, I don't have uh, dyslexia. And then dyspraxia, a lot of people don't know what dyspraxia is. Like, mm. they, they won't be able to see it. Most people with dyspraxia that they see are people that fall over their own feet because they just can't coordinate their body. And you're like, well, I can walk, it's fine. I don't have dyspraxia. But that's not what dyspraxia is. And the explanations of what it is are very vague or they're all the way like 100% that's what dyspraxia is. Mm. When you look at ADHD, a lot of people said, I don't have ADHD because they're not a boy running around in a classroom. Now the explanation of ADHD is you get distracted. Well, everyone gets distracted and everyone can associate with being, oh yeah, I'm distracted. Maybe I've got ADHD. It's easier to self-diagnose ADHD from a 30-second video clip than it is dyspraxia or dyslexia. And yes, people say, don't self-diagnose, but people are still going to do that. People still associate whatever it is that they consume with themselves. That's, everyone does it naturally. Okay, this might be a slightly... I, I'm I'm interested to see your like views. I don't have a problem with self-diagnosis. I do not see that as an issue um for me the reason why is because it's kind of more understanding of the way that they work what my concern is with self-diagnosis is like it's taking what we've been what we've spoken about before it's taking everything about adhd of like all of the things of adhd are all me but i find it like I think there is value in like self-diagnosis because you need to diagnose yourself first before you go and get an official diagnosis. You need to know, you need to have something about yourself that you were like, oh yeah, this is a thing. Oh yeah, no, this is a thing that I'm seeing a lot. I'm seeing throughout my life. I've seen throughout my life. Um, Now, whether that's because for myself, I have, 
I'm very introspective. I don't know. I don't know the common population. I only know me. Um, so, what yeah. is self-diagnosis at its core? I suppose it's a, a reflection in some ways. It is a reflection of like, oh, this kind of matches my experience. Ah, interesting. I want to explore this further. Which inside of reflection is what? It's just awareness of actions, awareness of yeah. behaviours. So self-diagnosis is reflection and being aware of behaviours that you have. Mm. Everyone listening, I would imagine, knows my views on, on the lines and diagnosis of neurodivergence. Yeah. So, so the I think mo- I, I actually think most neurodiverse individuals also agree because I've had conversations in person with people, and they're like, "Yeah, no, the 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 criteria is so crap." Yeah. Um. So self diagnosis, I have a problem with. Because you're using diagnosis, which means you're using the lines that someone else has drawn, if that's your meaning behind diagnosis. If by self-diagnosis you mean I'm becoming more aware of the actions that I have and how it impedes me in doing X, Y, and Z, well, then I agree with that because that is awareness of your abilities, awareness of affordances and constraints in the environments that you work in, i.e., I know I get distracted if I have loads of things that could distract me in this workplace. So I'm going to get rid of those distractions to increase the likelihood of me focusing on my work. To me, that's using reflection in practice, which is useful. Mm. And I think a lot of people should do it more. Um, Where it becomes an issue for me with the content is someone does self-reflection They then associate their self-reflection with the diagnosis that's extremely fluffy and then do TikToks and content about it. That's great as self-reflective, but as soon as you move it into an educational lens, then we get to the point of, okay, where's where's the standard? Where's Where's the quality assurance here that you're not just talking out of your bum because you've gone, oh, yeah, I relate to that. Let's talk about it. Because everyone yeah, can relate and I, to everything. I think that problem. is, yeah, and I think that is a a very prevalent problem online. Like it's even when you look at the professional professionals, I'm going to put in quote marks, um, professional therapists and professional people that diagnose stuff. Um, some of the content they put out there, I'm not going to call out names, but some of the content that professional therapists are putting out there are doing far more harm than good because they have so many misconceptions in there. And as someone that I don't identify as neurodiverse, I have tendencies that could be diagnosed by someone as being ADHD or whatever other words you want to put there. Um, But as someone that doesn't identify with that label, I watch some of these pieces of content like, yeah, I identify with all of those things. Does that mean I need more support in education because I can't do X, Y, Z? Do I need more time on my exams? Do I need... Uh, an extra week to submit my essay? No, no, I don't. And for me, I mean, this is someone that's like lived through being half deaf. So I've always been handicapped um, as being half deaf. Now I'm half blind as well. So, woo-hoo. Uh, but I don't want to be seen as, oh, you're the disabled one, or you're the one that needs help, or you need support in doing this thing. No, I can, I can do it myself. Yes, I need to do things in different ways, but I can still do it myself. So being labeled with, 
oh, you are ADHD or you need support with this, I find offensive. <laughs> I don't know about other people, but I find it offensive because yes, I can do this essay by myself. I just need, I know that I need to spend another week on doing this. Or in my case, with my hearing, I need to sit on one side of the classroom so I can hear it. Does that mean I'm disabled? Does it mean I'm handicapped? Does it mean I need help and support? No, it just means I do it a different way. And that's not bad. Sorry, got a bit emotional there, but it's just annoying from my perspective. Interesting. That That's purely like- Yeah, no, I, I find that quite interesting because <laughs> for me, um, my, like, I am half blind which does mean I have to have things different to ensure I can do what I want to do. And that's what I see with my autism as well. Of Like, I just need things to be done slightly differently. But it is a pain in my ass. It is a problem. I find the term disabled with all of the connotations attached to it and all of the pieces there yeah I don't like it but I have to work differently and I think that is like I need different affordances I need to have different there are things constraining me which mean I have different things that I need to be able to do what I do do I feel that it debilitates me? Am I completely ruined because of autism? No, of course not. Like, I still do what I do, and I do what I do with what I do. I figured out how I do the do-do, do-do-do-do-do. I figured out a way of working that fits for me. Um, and I still am learning that, and that's not going to change, because as I develop, I will figure out new things that, like, oh, there's a thing that I didn't, I have the diagnosis, but some of the awareness is still not there, which is fun. Um, I have an official diagnosis and I'm still discovering new pieces of like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. And it's about adding in that for me. Yeah, it's it's interesting. What I don't I have a negative though. connotation on disability, I don't think. So what I hear there is you have an environment and you are in the environment and in some environments you don't suit it. So you need to evolve, change, move, adapt the environment to suit you in it. So make yes. it work for you, which is what everyone in theory is doing, should be doing or will be doing at some point anyway. And that's what people do naturally. People will naturally move towards things they are more comfortable in doing. Okay. It's just the way humans are. Um, most of it's lazy because humans want to be lazy. Um, uh, but they will lean towards something that suits them more. So if the, you can change the environment, then you do change the environment. If you can't change the environment, then you need to do something a different way, which isn't necessarily I need support, I need help, I need I need someone to do something for me. You don't become, well, I'm, I'm saying just in general, a lot of people that require the support don't need to become reliant on that support from someone else because they can then do it themselves. Like if they figure out, oh, I need to record this lecture because I, I can't understand what they're saying, then someone sets up a microphone for you the first time, you learn how to do it, but then you can do it yourself. 
Yeah. So now you've created an environment yourself. Yes, you needed support to start with, but that's that's there, that's done, right? Now you can be normal. It's it's not normal, but you, you then you're then not this this person that's different. Yes, there are people that are different and require much more support. Um, but I don't think there's as many of them as everyone else that requires a little bit of help here and there. Mm. When you when you think of the teaching assistants um, in primary school, teaching assistants can literally help every student <laughs> because yeah. every student needs help. Once those students have figured out how to do whatever it is they need to help with, they then become semi-autonomous learners. Some students need that help for longer. Some people, some students will need that help, like the continual help because of whatever disability that they have. Disability in a term that's a physical or a mental disability where they can't do certain things. And yes, there are people with that. But a lot of people need a bit of support to help them develop a skill for them to do it themselves. And that's what education is for. It's for helping people become autonomous learners. If you're constantly being given help by other people, how can you become an autonomous learner? If you're constantly being given handicaps, how can you become an autonomous learner? Some people can't become autonomous learners because of their disability. But I think a lot of people can. Uh, a personal example from my university experience, someone with um, dyslexia, really really bad dyslexia he when he was listening to lectures he couldn't read the board like the, the words were all over the place um so he had a he had to record like actually camera record the lecture it actually ended up that the lecturers gave him the slides i was like why don't you just get the lecturers to give you a slide oh that would be a good idea um rather than trying to squint and try and read the words which you struggle to read anyway on a recording it was odd why the support team gave him a recording that doesn't make sense but anyway um and he got two weeks extensions for all of the essays and I asked him, why do you start two weeks later than everyone else? He said, well, I've got a two-week extension. So he got a two-week extension and started two weeks later because he had a two-week extension. So he started relatively exactly the same time as everyone else. So how does that help him? It doesn't because he, he was an autonomous learner being given a handicap that he didn't need. He didn't need the two-week extension because he just started two weeks later. And having spoken to loads of other people that got the extension, a lot of the people that got the extension started one week, two weeks, three weeks later than everyone else, which makes the handicap pointless and actually makes the marking harder for the lecturers because the lecturers now spread their marking instead of over a month, over three months. So the handicap hurt the lecturers and made it harder for the students to write their or harder for the students relative that started their essays earlier because we started our essays before the end of semester whereas the people with the handicap i, I know a handicap has a bad con connotation but it's the only word i can think of right now um started their essays after all the lectures were done so while i've submitted my essay and there are still two lectures left in the semester this person with dyslexia that hasn't started their essay yet still has those two lectures and then has it during a week. And I'm like, how is that fair? I wouldn't say it is fair, but that, that's how the universities work. And from my experience, it was just annoying <laughs> that these, these people 
that some of them, yes, valid reasons for getting an extension, but some people got an extension just by a, a label that they had and they didn't. Yeah. It's not they didn't deserve the extension. It's they didn't use the extension. So why give it to them? If they're autonomous enough to do the essay in their own time, which I think is a good thing, why are we still supporting them? <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. I'm not, I'm not sure whether it's like, well, why are we still supporting them? It's almost in, in over, that way. overcompensating. Yeah, it's like giving them all the, the bubbles, like the health and safety yeah. system in the UK. Yeah, and like, I think... Go uh, sit in a bubble. Why? Yeah, it's like, no, I don't need to sit in a bubble. You don't need to treat me like I'm stupid. But, and that's my feeling. Like, mm. when when I said, like, I got... I felt insulted. That's that's the sort of feeling I got. I'm like, no, I don't need to be padded. I don't, don't need to be shoved to one side so I don't get hurt. No, I, I want to feel it. <laughs> um, yeah. And in some yeah, cases, like in some cases is... I want the pain. I'm like, no, give me the pain so I can learn from it. But other, I mean, like the amount of times I smacked my foot on the door because I didn't pay attention. Like when, obviously oh, I, lost, when yeah. I lost my sight in my right eye, I, I 24 years having two eyes and then suddenly you don't have one eye. Yeah, you kick the door a lot, kick the wall a lot. Um, it, if, if I didn't feel that pain, I wouldn't learn to move slightly to the left. <laughs> so I needed that pain. And if you don't get that pain, you don't learn to deal with it. And then you suddenly get dumped into an environment, life when you graduate school. How do you manage that? Yeah, and that is that is that is the educational system in a nutshell, though. Yes, but that's also the content system, the content that's going out, because everyone reinforces this bubbling nature. Oh, do you have this thing? Maybe you need to do all of this. You need to get diagnosed, have these advantages um, or these help tools given to you or, oh, you have this, try this tip, this hack, this thing, buy my thing. Oh, but that get bloody course. everything. Yeah, but it's epitomized and just recycled online because of the misconceptions, the educational system. Yeah, the educational system builds the assumptions to start with. It builds the culture, builds the narrative, but it's then reinforced online. But people online ridicule the educational system. And this is what irritates me. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is what irritates me about the online content is they'll say something, they'll disagree with something, and then they'll reinforce it. And you're like, you've just made an argument against the educational system a lot of the time. This is government. And then you go and ridicule said government, said people, said system. And then in your own content, do the exact same effing thing. Hypocrite. You're, you're doing exactly what you're telling people not to do. How about you change your actions so other people have a model to follow rather than the people going, oh, this person's saying we should do something different. What are they doing? The same as us. Why should I change? Mm. I just want to slap the people in the face like, hey, wake up before you insult people and you say, oh, you can't do X, Y, Z. How about you try doing it? Yeah. How would you educate millions of students in a world? With minimal funds, I might add. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, oh, you're not educating. Oh, oh, you're adding loads of assumptions that actually is harming more people than doing good. Right. Yeah, that's really beneficial. Sorry, this is like you're right now. Ah, it's a pain in the. It's frustrating. Yeah, and I think it. A lot of what I've been doing recently is that reflection piece on that, of like actually producing stuff that reduces harm because I don't think it is completely possible to completely remove harm because. It's just not. <laughs> Everyone's going to have a perception which yeah. changes interpretation. Which is something that's quite interesting for me as I've been exploring that because I do get into the nuances of like all of the conversations, which can, for me, one of my big struggles is figuring out like where I sit. Like, where do I sit? Because I hear the issues and see the issues with ADHD and autistic content and all of that content. And then I'm like, yeah, but there's so much to talk about there at the same time. And it's really been, I think we, people have seen snippets of it from like the podcast and also we've been talking about it afterwards. Like for me, it's like, well, how do I avoid as much of that as possible. And as I was listening to you talking about, I'm like, ah, oh, that's interesting. I Because the, the space that I work within is probably the, the, the environment that I put myself in doesn't make or, or makes far fewer of the assumptions that we've been discussing. There are still assumptions because there are always going to be assumptions because that's how things work. That's just the way it is but there are far fewer assumptions made which is i i think it's for me i'm getting to the point of how few assumptions how few assumptions am i willing like where is my line and this is my line which is fun um and evolves and changes of like where is my line how many assumptions am i willing to make i think this goes back to the philosophy of like marketing versus content creation if they are the same if they are not certainly a philosophy of practice i think content creation is marketing like marketing can't happen without content creation because in my mind content is something shared with someone else that the, the quality of the content as we discussed before is obviously going to change how that's perceived how that's interpreted and if you lean that quality towards a marketing goal then you have marketing content and where where my mind went when you were discussing that was my choice in not doing um educational <laughs> Uh, content on the Danny Hatcher channel and the reason the research videos that I did was me giving my interpretation of a research paper is because there was too much research that I understood for me to do a video quick enough to get those out so Mm. I knew if I was going to do those videos I would need to spend far more time expressing my conceptions Uh, challenging some of the preconceptions and misconceptions people may have consuming the content whilst communicating the science accurately. 
And I knew I didn't have the time to do that. So I chose not to do that to avoid the assumptions, which as everyone will know, if you look at my channel, those videos did really poorly because people need to have those assumptions to really grasp what's going on in the video in the first place. So I knew that was going to be a bad choice when it comes to YouTube, but it was a, okay, how would this work? And I got a lot of like, those videos were the most triggering for conversations because they got people thinking. And that's what the Danny Talks channel in 2023, when and if that happens, I say when and if, because I've got some projects that's taking up a lot of time. Um, yeah, when and if that happens, that's what I want those videos to be. They're, they're content that is designed or will be designed to trigger conversation around a philosophical concept, topic, argument, claim, proposition, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it brings in assumptions, but from every angle. So there's no answer. The, the piece of content deliberately has no answer. It's a conversation that doesn't stop. And the point of it is to say, hey, here's a conversation. Here are some views in this conversation. What do you think? Mm. And that's the point of the content. <laughs> the, point is, <laughs> the point of the content is to go, hey, here's an argument. Here's what we know so far. What do you think? And where do we go with it? Rather than saying, hey, there's a problem over there. There's a problem over there because that doesn't do anything. It doesn't help anyone. And most of the problems you point out have been found out 60, 70 years ago. And people are still trying to tackle them because how you solve the problem is an ongoing conversation. So when it comes back to the content, I deliberately choose not to do content on complicated conversational topics, often in philosophy, because it does more harm than good. And I know it does more harm than good. Mm. I also know those videos will get more views on YouTube because that's where the views are. Because you give an answer to something, you make it easier for someone else. Yes, you make it easier in the short term, but in the long term, you're creating a misconception about how the world works. And then people go, oh, but it doesn't work for me now, or it doesn't work for me in this context. Yeah, because the piece of content was shallow to start with. Active Recall is a perfect example. Like. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's a great video. You put Active Recall in a title in the education space, you're going to get more views. Does it create a misconception that Active Recall is the answer to learning? Yes, because <laughs> loads of students think, oh, Active Recall, Space Repetition, that's what I need to do. Active Recall is remembering stuff. Space Repetition is practicing. How do you practice? How do you remember? What do you trigger for your practice in trying to get memory? Oh, oh, that's that's practice science. That's complicated. Oh, that's remembering. Oh, that's memory science. That's complicated. Same thing with like, so in the workshop that I did a little while back, like the the task taming for busy brains, a lot of people, and I realized this as I was developing like the content and writing it out and putting it in place. As I was doing more, a lot of people talk about how to plan it and how to get it ready and make it look pretty and put it in an order. But no one talks about actually doing it. <laughs> it's like, it's like, okay, so you just plan it and then you just do this thing and then you just go do it. Yay! It's easy. And that's the bit that I find fascinating because a lot of the stuff that I do is like, how do we actually do it? 
because that's actually the problem most people are facing is actually getting a, a lot of the problems that my uh, audience are facing of like actually doing the stuff and actually and what that actually means in itself or how do you do things what do you want to do and how do you do it and the answer is it depends now that we're a couple of weeks later i want to ask you a question about that <clears throat> so you've got the plan order whatever you want to put there do um doing where does doing start Right at the beginning and in the middle and at the end is all the time. Okay. I thought you'd say that. So when you're planning, are you doing? Yes. So how can you plan without doing in a binary? You can't. Precisely. So when people say, then do it, you can't then do it because you're already doing it. Yes. That is actually what I said. Exactly. Um, and if you're already doing it, well, planning is doing. Organizing yeah. is doing, which means what is doing? But I suppose it's the completion of the task. Okay. So think like I'm, when when you think of nouns and verbs, doing is a verb. It's a, it's a, it's a doing verb. You're, you're doing it. It's a process that you go through. So you can't do it because no. there's nothing you can do there are actions you can do but an action is something else an action is a specific thing but when you're doing it it's a process that doesn't really have a start or an end you're, you're just slowly you're doing it. it you're in the do <laughs> exactly it's a verb it's a, it's a process that you go through yeah. and the planning isn't something you do and that's it, you're done. No, the planning is the doing because as yeah. you act on the thing, planning changes. So it's not a noun. It's not a, I've done this. I've planned this. Now I'm going to act it. No, they're nouns. They're things yeah. that you can measure. You can measure you've done stuff. I, I have planned a time to do it. Okay, great. Does that mean you're going to do it then? No. Does that mean you're going to finish it by then? No. It means you're going to maybe start it at some point around then so what's the point of planning it is it to do no because planning is doing so what's the point of planning it yes <laughs> love, that, that is what i had fun most of all and having to like i enjoyed playing with the misconceptions throughout which thank you for that pointer i enjoyed playing with the misconceptions of like planning doing you know, all of the thoughts of like making it happen. And yeah, that is something that I'm going to probably expand on considerably. But I'm just like, because <sighs> it will go. So if you start thinking of the world instead of in nouns and in things, think of it as verbs, processes, mm. and, and doing words. When do you study? Well, all the time. So when do you learn? All the time. So when do you reflect? All the time. So when people say, I'm going to go study now, what are they actually saying? I'm going to go plan <laughs> to study. But that's what I mean. I don't know. Like when someone says, 
I need to study, you're already studying. You're just not putting any intention on it. You're not, ha- you don't have a focus. That's my thing with reflection. You know, the reflection practices of like daily notes and writing in your daily note and answering questions specifically in the morning, specifically at the weekend. And I do not do that at specific times. I have never found it valuable because I am forever reflecting every single sentence and word I'm saying I am reflecting in that moment all of the time there is always something I am reflecting on and just for clarification evaluation is a shallow form of reflection yes (laughs) so it's not deep reflection all of the time most of the time it's evaluation but that's still part of reflection because you need to evaluate before you can go deeper Uh, Yeah. yeah I, I agree. And, with- and, and often I am I am then once I've done the shallow reflection, I am then going, how oh, why? <laughs> and starting to poke at that more and more, which is enjoyable and horrible because there are no answers and it's great. With, that's the thing about reflection that people I think misunderstand is a lot of people, including yourself and myself, when I first heard about it as well, is oh yeah, I reflect all the time. No, you evaluate all of the time. And that's where I differentiate between reflection and evaluation. Evaluation is easy. Everyone does that all of the time in their head. And they're thinking about it. Like before you go into a conversation with someone and you know you're going to talk to them, you've evaluated comments that you could say to them. And then you try and evaluate the responses that they're going to give. And then you go, okay, how am I going to respond to that? People think that's reflection. That's not. It's evaluation. It's evaluation of your choices and decisions you can make. Reflection would be, why have you chosen to give that response to the response they've given? And what's your reasoning behind it? Is that reasoning true to your morals? If it is, why are you staying true to your morals when talking to this person? If it's not, why are you not staying true to your morals when you're talking to this person? You can't do all of that questioning when you go to answer a person. Because <laughs> you'll be there like buffering for a minute. <laughs> Hold up, I need to I need to confirm this is morally accurate before I respond. <laughs> ever if you've ever wondered why I pause so much in these conversations <laughs> and why I buffer, it's because I have an answer really quickly, but I'm going, why? <laughs> yeah, and th- those questions, that is where you really start to develop the autonomous ability to share content and the way I, and the reason i say that is going back to the original question from kathy is how do you share content what do you share what medium do you share it all depends on your morals and values of the information you're looking to communicate and what you want the communication to lead to do you want the communication to lead to someone going okay cool Or, "Mm, that's interesting, I want to consider that. Or, I have no idea, I'm going to have to have an existential crisis to understand what's going on here. (laughs) Like, what is your intention behind the communication? And then what medium best suits the intended outcome? A lot of the time for me, it's video because it's multimedia. You have visual cues, you have audio cues, and you can add in other edited elements to trigger certain emotional responses. 
Mm. Podcasts, it's harder to do that. Text, it's even harder to do that. However, mm. video takes an effing long time to do when you want to trigger all of these different things, which is why it's a profession in itself. Yeah. I I know that what I have would be so good on video. And in fact, I've had people replying to me even now for absolute ancient content that I'm just like, <laughs> and I'm like ah, maybe it's time to make videos again. And then I go down that rabbit hole of like, oh, no. <laughs> yep. Oh, no. <laughs> Actually, this might be helpful um, for anyone else curious. So I had that problem. With the research videos that that was the problem i had and what i did is i uh, did a bit of reflection on that and i wanted to understand firstly what i wanted to do with it which my answer was i want to get people thinking really thinking about the conversation that i'm having um they don't need to have an answer it's just got to be a that's a good point i don't have an answer for that yet that's what i want if, if people go that's a good point i don't like it but I don't know why I don't like it, then I've done a good job. Then my question is, okay, how do I do that? Well, I need to understand both sides of an argument. I need to express both sides of an argument in a way that's understood by people. And I need to create some sort of emotional trigger for them to continue consuming the content because of that's the way online content works, which means I need to edit in a way that is in a narrative, in a form that people can consume which means I need to learn to edit. I need to take time in creating the edit. I also need to research and create a script that sends both sides or all sides of a story in some way to trigger these, mm, yeah, I don't know, which yeah. means it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of effort, which brings in another constraint that I had was this preconceived notion that I needed to create content in a, consistent manner so one a week one every two weeks whatever so what i did is i went f that i'm going to create scripts i'm going to do essay scripts which is in my notes anyway i'm going to create the arguments in my notes refine those arguments in my notes and when i think i can make a video about it because it's in a form in a narrative in a script that i can go yeah yeah, I can make a video about this, then I will. But until that happens, I'm just not going to. Yeah. And that gives me the freedom to do the research, to explore thinking, which is what I want to do. And then when I go, actually, you know what, this is be this would be a really good video to share. I can. And that's why the video about ADHD has taken four months and will probably take longer. Yeah. Yeah. It's and that's what I've done. That's how I've approached making these really complex videos. If I had a team, yeah, it'd be quicker, but I don't have a team. Maybe in the future sometime. Do you want one? For some elements, yes. Because I know there are elements of the process that I don't want to do. But having said that, I know there are elements of the process that I won't want to do than I need to do. Like... I need to cut down the B-roll and the A-roll in an editing clip. But if I don't select those, then the video doesn't look like me. So if I was to select those and then try and edit it, I wouldn't know what I had. So either I need to do the whole process or I need to cut off 
the person that's helping at the point where I'm comfortable to then take over or someone else has to do it entirely. That's a question that I don't have an answer to yet. Maybe someone else edit it, edits it, but I don't know. I like the idea of developing that skill myself at the moment. At this point in time, I will probably get to a point where I'm like, hey, I don't want to edit these videos anymore. I want a good editor that can tell my story in the way that I want to tell it. Just give them all the footage. Me focus on the audio, the narrative, and the research. I think that was always my problem. Is I know enough about editing to be at a certain level. Competent, yeah, thank you. And it's like, okay, but I don't want to be editing all of the time. Which, for the videos that I also want to create... That is what I would be doing. And that's that's literally the bottleneck for me with these videos. I could pump out tons of videos where I'm just sitting here talking. I could read a script. It could be an audio script of my, the uh, work or whatever. And that's what a lot of readers do. Readers and thinkers and researchers, they don't make videos. They write in academics or they write in a blog. And I could do that. And my Obsidian Publishers technically will be the blog where I do that. But I don't like that type of communication as a way to consume no. content. Because I, I, don't like, yeah. I really struggle consuming it. Yeah. You miss so much nuance when it's just text. I don't think you miss nuance in text if the text is appropriate. But it requires a lot more focus for me. Um, and for a lot of other people, which you could argue is a good thing. But when you want to share lots of ideas, it's very hard to grasp text because mm. you don't have visual support. So you have to create that in your head if you can. Phonological loop. Um, <laughs> add some random stuff in it. Um, so if you can create an image and if you created the image, is it accurate? Because there's going to be misconceptions in your image from your preconceived notions of the information that's being shared. So there's that barrier. And then when you're reading through it, are you going to remember what's happened? What cues do you have to remember what you've read? The stuff that you created in your head. And if you didn't understand it, you're not going to remember it. If you're watching a video and it's got pretty colors on it, you can go, oh, that's a cool square. Then... Five minutes later, they reference the square. They bring up the square again. There's your visual cue. Like, it, it's it's not as difficult to bring in repeated cues because you have yeah. visuals. Even and this is something that I'm I'm going to be playing with in the for the Danny Talks channel. Even with B-roll, you can so in movies they will have B-roll. They'll have a scene going down a street or something. They'll play it at the beginning of the footage. Then they'll do stuff. And then in the middle, you'll be further down that street. So you're now reminded of where you started. And then further on, there's you're now at the house at the end of the street. So you have this visual journey with just one clip, essentially. It's one B-roll clip of someone zooming in. But you're shown it at different points at different parts of the story. In text, it's very hard to do that because it's all words. In video, you can do it through visual cues, like I've just expressed, or through music. And you'll, you'll notice with a lot of bigger creators, when they're talking about something that's 
memorable, needs to be thought about. There's a, a type of music that's played. Vsauce has its music. And people associate that music with the Vsauce question. Or does it? And and people use that. Same with the uh, Veritasium music. Typically at the end of the video when he's rounding things out, but it does happen in the middle when he's summarizing a point. The The audio is matched to, oh, I need to pay attention here. Because it becomes an affordance of the consumption of the video. In text, you can't have that unless you just say conclusion in the title. <laughs> like, it doesn't have the same impact. Yeah. And there is so much you can play with editing, especially when you get into the, the nitty gritty of what editing is. It's a massive skill. It's a huge skill to develop. And it's one that I want to develop because I feel my ability to communicate through verbal means is quite good. I, I have a good grasp of uh, a fairly large vocabulary so I can express the words I want to use when I want to use them. Yes, I can speak very quickly, which is frustrating, but I can slow down if I want to in presentations. Um, I find myself mildly patronizing when I do that, but I can still do it. For those who watch the presentation for, uh, who's the guy, Nick Milo, the Nick Milo conference, I slowed down. I did ask questions and I was quite probing and how I was using my tonality in explaining certain topics. I was slowing down, taking breaths, emphasizing certain words, certain points, certain questions, and then speeding up at points where I needed to. But speech isn't the only medium. Yeah. Written content, I can do it quite well. My essays did well. But written content isn't consumed by the people that I want to get attention from, I guess I, guess I would say. Because it's education, educators and students and people that are learning. Where do they go to learn? YouTube. YouTube. YouTube is the go-to learning platform. You Google it. If there's a video about it, you watch the video about it. Even my parents are at a point now, like they're closing in 60. Um, my parents are at a point now where, yes, through my help, if they have a question and they don't know, they'll Google it, then they'll YouTube it. I, I know people that are like mid 70s closing in on 80s as well that are like, I don't know how to do this thing. I'm going to YouTube it. Like YouTube it is the answer to I don't know how to do this thing. It's education, which is yeah. why it's baffling to me that there are no standards at all for education. There, there's not even a conversation about it from what I can see either. And it's I'm not saying this is a YouTube thing. I'm saying this is an online Internet thing. <laughs> Yeah. How you moderate the internet, yeah, not going to happen. But how you yeah. moderate platforms specifically, like Skillshare, brilliant. YouTube would be one I would include in there. Um, Nebula as well. Like, how do you moderate? How do you confirm on those sorts of platforms? That's a question that I think's got to be had at some point in the future. Yeah. I like this conversation. Thank you for the questions, Kathy. Yeah, great conversations. And if any of you have any other conversations, feel free to DM one of us on Twitter. Our links are in the description of every episode, so you'll find it. Um, and yeah. If you're on YouTube, you can just leave a comment. Yeah. I'll see it. I'll, I'll see it the week that uh, I publish it, so I'll, I'll note it down, you know? Yeah.
Yes, leave it in the comments and one of us will say something. Thank you. I, w- I wonder which one that will be. You. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. should start my YouTube channel again. <sighs> uh, maybe that could be a 2023 goal. KPI, OKR thing. LMNOP. Yeah. I have been tempted to come back because, yeah, it is a really good medium and I'm not bad at <laughs> editing videos. I can edit a good video and have a ton of fun with it too. Damn. Nice. Right, 2023, John starts uh, his channel up again and I procrastinate about putting videos out on my uh, Danny Talks channel. <laughs> yeah, so we switch. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yay! <laughs> right, see you all in Discord if you're going to be there. Yes. <laughs>